Hey folks, Pastor Smee here really quick with you. Just wanted to pass on a word of thanks to you as we begin this new year uh, for all of your support over these past couple of years as we've been doing daily podcasts, trying to bring you the Word of God each day in little snippets. Uh, we're going to be stepping away from that just a bit with this new year, doing uh, more maybe weekly or, or a couple of days a week uh, instead of doing the daily because we've got a lot more things going on with the churches opening up more as well as some other podcasts that we're looking to start here uh, as the the weeks and months move ahead. So continue to subscribe and, and share uh, what you find either with the podcast or over on our YouTube channel. Uh, but with that, uh, thank you so much for listening, and let's go ahead and get started. God, who dost govern all things in heaven and earth, mercifully hear the supplications of thy people and grant us thy peace all the days of our life. Through thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Well, this is the prayer as we enter into the second Sunday of Epiphany. Uh, we had Epiphany on January 6th, the wise men and all that stuff. And then this last Sunday we had Baptism of Our Lord, and now we enter into the Epiphany season itself, uh, even though Baptism of Our Lord is part of the Epiphany, but whatever. Um, but uh, what is different this year versus uh, what you've probably had in past years is that when we deal with the one-year lectionary and the Epiphany season, we actually jump into... A lot of the stories of what uh, Christ does to showcase himself, to make sure that he is seen for who he is. And so it's fitting that our prayer is very succinct, very small for this coming Sunday. It's not very elaborate. There aren't a bunch of big four-letter word, four-syllable words, I mean, there might be some four-letter words, but, you know, um, but it is very, very uh, short and to the point. Almighty and everlasting God who does govern all things in heaven and on earth. That's what we actually see in Christ as we move ahead through the epiphany. We see him uh, being master over creation. We see him being master over disease, master over uh, demons. We see him showcased as the Son of God, as the King of glory. We see him showcased as, as the Son, the, the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sins of the world. And so we see him as the, the one who governs all things in heaven and on earth. Then we ask that one who is almighty, who is everlasting. We ask that one who governs all things to mercifully hear our prayers, to mercifully hear our supplications, our petitions, and grant us peace all the days of our life. Because that's actually what we pray for, right? When we pray and we ask God for something, we're actually asking God for peace. We're asking God to come and, and deal with all the things around us, all the things in the world, that are causing our faith to falter, causing us to not be at peace. 
and we're asking him to bring that peace. And so having such a small prayer, which seems like not that much, and yet we declare to God that you are all powerful. You govern all things. We ask that you'd please hear us and you'd do what it is that you've promised to do, which is to grant us peace, to grant us your mercy, to do your work. So that's what we pray for as we gather here for our second Sunday in Epiphany. Let's head into our text. The first reading comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 33, beginning at the 12th verse. Moses said to the Lord, Look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor with me. Now I have indeed found favor with you. Please teach me your ways, and I will know you, so that I may find favor with you. Now consider that this nation is your people. And God replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. If your presence does not go, Moses responded to him, don't make us go up from here. How will it be known that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? I and your people will be distinguished by this from all the other people on the face of the earth. The Lord answered Moses, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Please, let me see your glory. He said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, You cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. The Lord said, Here is a place near me. You are to stand on the rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is one of those fun texts, I think. Because here we have Moses kind of bargaining with God. He's begging God to uh, hold to his promise. Uh, Look, you have told me, lead this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Well, God then says, well, I'm going to go with you. You know, I sent sent Aaron with you, even though I was present with you, because you didn't want to believe me. You didn't want to trust me. You were too fearful. You thought that you weren't good enough. But I sent Aaron with you to go and redeem my people. And now I'm going to go with you. Above everyone else, I'm going to go with you and be present with you, and I'm going to help you lead these people up to the promised land. And it says, now, if indeed I have found favor with you, please teach me your ways and I will know you. I love that. If I have found grace, if you have handed me your grace, please teach me this so I may know you. That should be the cry of all our hearts. Our desire should be to know God, not in, in some sort of head knowledge, but to know him as the gracious God. To know him as the God of the promise. To know him as the God who hands us his gifts. Oftentimes, whether we like it or not, to give us his grace. Because we live in a world that is not grace-filled. And so, to to know God, to, to, to be taught by God and to know God, is to know God as the one who is gracious. The one who grants favor and grace and mercy, overflowing without end. And even without our prayer, it comes to us. And we need to ask God to teach us those things that we might know him and see where his grace is present for us. And so God then tells him, I will go with you. My presence will go with you. And, and then Moses doesn't believe him. He wants to say, now, if your presence doesn't go, go with us, we're, we're in trouble. How are people going to know that you're a gracious God if you don't go with us? And God has to remind him again, I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to do it. You have found favor with me. I've handed you my grace, and I know you by name. You are mine, is basically what he's saying. Trust me. I am faithful to you, whether you are faithful to me or not, God says to him. And then Moses makes this amazing plea. Let me see your glory. Let me see you for who you are. And that's part of what Epiphany is about, is we're going to see Jesus as who he is. This The, the gospel text for this week, we'll get to in just a second, is the, is the water into wine at the wedding of Cana. There, Jesus declaring himself for who he is. For, for what he uh, is coming to do, to fill in all the emptiness that we have. All, all our lacking of faith. That he fills it up with, with good wine overflowing of his grace. And so we have to cling to that. But here, we have Moses asking to see God, even though later on here God says, well, no human being can see me and live. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to let every all my goodness pass before you. I'm going to walk past you. I'm going to proclaim who I am to you, the Lord, the one who is ever-present, the one who is always with you, the I am, Yahweh. Now I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and compassionate to whom I will be compassionate, saying uh, that uh, it's not based on what you do. It's based on what I do. My grace and my compassion come to you because I say that they are. And then he said, you can't see me and live. So he says, I'm going to put you in, you're going to stand on this rock. And as I come by you, I'm going to hide you in this crevice and you're not going to be able to see me. And then you're going to see me just as I make it around this corner. And all you're going to see is my backside. That's what he says, basically. You're going to see my butt. And that was more than enough for, for Moses. Because then he actually comes down the mountain and no one can look at his face because his face is shining bright because he's seen the butt of Jesus, the butt of the Lord, the, the, the butt of Jesus too, um, to, to see the glory of the Lord in that way. Sees just a little tiny little bit. But to know God is to know him as one who's gracious and compassionate whether we want him to be or not. And that is hopeful for us. Because we are not a gracious and compassionate people, and yet God is, and he hands it to us every day. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us, so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. This is Psalm 67, and it fits with our Exodus reading, right? Our first reading. May God be gracious to us, because that's what we hear about him, right? That he's a gracious and compassionate God, and bless us. Okay? May he make his face shine upon us. Well, what happens? But God's glory passes by Moses and shines upon him to the point that he, uh, his, no one can look on his face after he comes down from the mountain. But I love that there's a purpose clause. The reason why we want God to do this, so that you may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. It's not just to have a God. It's a God who's gracious and compassionate and has done something for you, which is salvation. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Why? Because he's a gracious and compassionate God. 
Let the nations rejoice and shout for joy, for you judge the peoples with fairness and lead the nations on earth. Why? Because he's a gracious and compassionate God. Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the peoples praise you. Why? Because he's a gracious and compassionate God. Even in the midst of any suffering we may have, even in the midst of death, even in the midst of funerals, in the midst of COVID, in the midst of job loss, in the midst of not knowing what's going to happen, in the midst of watching our 401k go to the basement, uh, whatever it may be, God is still gracious and compassionate. He is still your God. The earth has produced its harvest. God, our God, blesses us from what he pours out to us in his gifts, whether it be through a harvest, through through uh, regular food, through through things that take place here in this life, or the life that is to come, that God will bless us and all the earth, ends of the earth will fear him, will know him, will fall before him, because he is a gracious and compassionate God. Our second reading comes from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. An enjoyable text, I think, for some of us. I don't know. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless, in the same way husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but for provides and cares for it just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This was read at my wedding by my dad, and he made sure to punctuate, which I think we've talked about here before, the section of, and husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. Because we, so many times in, our, in, a, in a patriarchal church a long time ago, it would be very much about wives submitting to your husbands because the husband is the head of the wife. Do what I say, submit. Even though the word is actually a voluntary submission. That, it, that it's not a pounding one down or a humiliation. It's a voluntarily saying, and it can only be done by that person voluntarily, deciding to subjugate themselves to another. That it's not a forced thing. It's not a coerced thing. It's a choice thing. So that's a big deal. But even more so, the whole point of this is to highlight Christ. And to highlight the wedding at Cana, right? Because the, the main interpretation for some people of that is the fact that he, sol he solemnizes weddings, that he thinks weddings are good and all that stuff, which they are. Uh, and, and marriage is good, which it is. It's awesome. Uh, but here the, the focus for Paul in writing this is he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That gives even more than just submit. That's actually dying for your wife where it says that, that uh, if, if you love your wife, uh, you, you love yourself. That it is that, that your wife and you are synonymous with one another, and that whatever hurts her hurts you. 
That would transform a lot of marriages, wouldn't it? To have Christ be such a focus that he's one where um, we are supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Just as the wives are submit to, are to submit to the husband, as the church is to submit to Christ, which means the church, the whole church, husbands and wives, submit to Christ, willingly say, yes, you are King and Lord and Savior. I bow before you. So we're already, all of us, in a humiliated, humbled uh, subjugation before Christ for what it is that he's done for us. But then it goes on to say, husbands, on top of that, Love your wives in the way I've loved you. Where I died for you, you die for your wife. You, you pour out yourself for your wife. That you, you are to love her in that way because this is what Christ has done. And then he goes on to list what it is that Christ has done for the church. And so because Christ has done that for the church, it's not you dying for your wife so that you can wash and clean her. No, she's already that's already happened for her in Christ. No. What you're doing is you are falling down before God and saying, okay, yes, Lord, I will do as you ask. And I'm to love my wife in such a way that I'm to die for her, that I lose myself in her. What a transformation that would be with marriages. And in part, it goes along with our gospel text that we'll have in just a second, where, yes, Christ is at a wedding. And, and he does solemnize it in the, with his presence, but tells us of the the greatness of the purpose for such a relationship to have a man love a woman in such a way as to give up himself for her that it becomes a parable for christ so as you want to teach your wife about jesus you talk about the giving up of oneself for the other and you try to do that for her on a daily basis and yes you're going to fail trust me you will that's why we have confession and absolution. But we regularly do it so that we might love her in the way that Christ has loved us. Our gospel reading comes from John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well when the wine ran out. Jesus' mother told him, they don't have any wine. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour has not yet come. Do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now six stone water jars had been set there for Jewish purification, each containing 20 or 30 gallons. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water after it had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Well, the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, Everyone sets out the fine wine first, and after people are drunk, the inferior, but you have kept the fine wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Canaan of, of Galilee. He revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum, together with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and he stayed there only a few days. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Most of us know the story, right? The... the the, the water at Cana thing. He's at a wedding. They run out of wine. Uh, his his mom says, hey, uh, they, they need to do this. Can you go down to the Muni and get some more uh, jugs of wine, even boxed wine? That's okay. They just, they need some more wine. And Jesus says, well, pff, why, why are you asking me? I'm, I'm not in charge here. They have a head waiter. I've got the groom. Let them figure it out. 
and she just says, okay, well, servants, you just do whatever he says. And Jesus goes, okay, fine. Well, there were six stone water jars there, these, these things that had been set there for Jewish purification, meaning for the washing of hands, washing of feet, washing of utensils, all these things that would normally be done uh, during the eating process to make sure that things were clean, to make sure that things were pure. And what does he do? He takes those water jars and he says, fill them. And so he fills up the purification. I love that picture because it's this notion of Jesus fulfilling the law. Jesus taking the law, seeing how it's empty, how it does not give us life, that it makes demands upon us. It tells us uh, to not do something, uh, but does not give us the power to, to do that. Uh, it, it tells us, uh, do not commit adultery. But it doesn't say, here, by the way, if you drink this potion, you'll never commit adultery again. It doesn't do that. Same with stealing, murder, lying, covetousness. Do not covet that. Oh, and here, take the special potion and yeah, it doesn't do that. It just tells us don't. And then we don't do what we're supposed to do and then we get in trouble, which is why Jesus came. But here we have Jesus filling up these jars that were there for the purification, these huge jars. And he fills them up, come wine. And it's not just any sort of wine, it's good wine. It's perfect wine. It's the best wine someone has ever tasted. And it's a picture of Christ fulfilling what it is that we can't do on our own and making it perfect, making it beautiful, making it wonderful. That's what Christ does here at the wedding at Cana. People are surprised by what it is that he is going to do, and yet he does it. That, that, that he fills up what it is that we can't. He does all the purific purificating for us. And then what he does is he transforms all that need for purification into something glorious and good. And he grants it to us. That is the beauty of what it is that Christ does for us. That is what we need to hold on to as a church, is to realize that it is Christ doing that work on our behalf. That's what we cling to here. And that's the importance of this Epiphany season, to have it not just be a time in which we fill in some missing stories before we get to Lent. It should be this time where we continually get, get hit in the face by who Jesus is and what it is that he comes to do. That he comes to steal away any opportunities that we have to try and make ourselves good or awesome. And he fills it with himself. And what it is, is it's wine poured over more than we could ever imagine to grant us his grace because he's a gracious and compassionate God. Let's pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who does govern all things in heaven and earth, mercifully hear the supplications of thy people and grant us thy peace all the days of our life. Through thy Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Well, church. Go in peace, serve the Lord. We'll see you on Sunday.